on that night so long ago. Jesus came to earth below. From his head removed his crown. To this wicked world stepped down. When he came, who greeted him? Were there crowds adoring him? Only lowly shepherds came, life for them forever changed. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the
This is my Savior, my friend. That's good. That's a good, that's a good song. I, I wasn't sure where that was going at first. <laughs> There's a lot of words in that song, isn't there? Wow, but boy, I got, you got those names going. Boy, I tell you what, it started getting me excited, you know. The names of Christ, amen. Isn't that something? Well, we serve a wonderful Savior. You know, if we'd run some of those names and we'd look up who and what he's about, it might be a little easier to trust him the next time we're in a mess. And uh, really, that's what it is. That's what knowing him's all about. Well, uh, be praying still for Tony Vitarella. Obviously, uh, we don't mention him that awfully much, but uh, I, I trust he's in your prayers. Again, he's in the bulletin, uh, but uh, take a, just keep working with that. He's not able to get back to work yet. Hasn't even really been able to come back to church very much at all. Just be praying for him as he's still wor- working through this Lyme and all these other issues. And then, of course, Diane Becker. Diane Becker has been getting a little bit better, but then she'll have some setbacks, obviously. So be praying for her with these headaches and just with uh, just the, the number of issues as a result of that, taking that strike to the head there. That's been very, very traumatic, difficult for her and her family. So be praying for her as well. Sometimes we forget the ones that are right around us, you know. And uh, so just be praying for them as well and keeping them close in your prayers. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Again, we're, we're dealing with how to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits. And we've been uh, running through this for f- some time. And uh, it, it just continues to amaze me <clears throat> how practical it is in my own life. Um, you know, um, I don't know. I, I don't get tired of learning how to overcome lust or sin. Those are things that I deal with on a regular basis. So for me, this hasn't been boring. Even preparing it, studying it, trying to look into it, it, it doesn't. It doesn't set me on in any course other than, boy, I'm glad to focus on it some. You know, I think it's important. Um, this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we've been reading it for a number of weeks, but what a powerful passage it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, let's, let's stand up if you're able, that's if you're able, and let's read this together. I'll read it aloud. You read it silently with me, would you? It says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. The Apostle Paul is responsible or can take, I guess, I don't know, credit really, but he's responsible for at least 13 of the New Testament books, uh, writing that is, being the one dependent. And some have said that he's responsible even for the book of Hebrews. Um, You know, and again, there's some evidence in that direction, and then there's others that would say that's not the case, but it doesn't really matter here nor there. It's still God's word either way. But uh, we have here a a wonderful passage, and we're going to take just a few minutes and continue our study on how to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits. Father, we come to you. We thank you for the man of God that you use to pen these passages. Lord, we can hardly even imagine, if we really take the time to think about it, what he endured and what he went through in order to prepare what we now have as the Word of God, to have it on paper, to... Father, have it right before us. Lord, he truly endured some tremendous suffering. And Lord, we thank you for the fact that he was willing to endure that type of 
suffering so that we today can read and study and glean and grow. Lord, help us tonight. We need you. Lord, we live in such a vile world. And although, Lord, we, we love living, there's no doubt, Lord, we, it's all we know, Lord, often. And, and if we're not careful, we can get so attached to this world that it seems like that's all there is. Lord, help us, Father, tonight to understand how susceptible we really are to sin and, and, and to, to the world and its ways. And Lord, how important it is to you that we as your children live clean and pure. Help us now, Lord, to take to heart these principles, these thoughts, these ideas. Lord, this prescription even. And Lord, may you be glorified in it tonight as we continue in this study. Well, thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Again, we have in the passage a race. We talked about that a number of times. And some people say, well, you know, I'll be honest with you. Can I, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I think if I preached messages at least three or more times in a row, I think the people of God would actually come away with it. I, I really don't think that, I don't really think that we get what's preached. Somebody said, well, I, you preached, you, I, I get a little weary when I hear things, things like this. Man, it seems like all you ever preach on. I'm thinking, well, how's come we're not getting it? Amen. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to be mean or nasty, but, but I hear that stuff all the time from people. Not, not all the time from, from people to me, but I hear about churches everywhere. And, you know, all you preach about is sin, and all you preach about is salvation, all you preach about is overcoming sinful lifestyles and habits. I mean, you, haven't we got it by now? Well, I don't know about you, but I haven't gotten it yet. I'm still working on that one. I'm just saying, I, I'm not saying that it has to be the focal point of every single message, but, my, we need it. And, you know, we've been at this for a few weeks, but I'll tell you what, probably if we would take messages and we'd preach them three times in a row, I really believe we'd walk away with something. Many times I think we get it and it just kind of goes right over our heads. And, and again, it's kind of like the Word of God. How many times have you read the same passage in the Bible? I mean, exa- word for word. Word for word. You don't go, man, I'm, I've read that before. I don't need to read this ever again. You know why? Because you get something else out of it that you didn't get when you read it the first time. Or the second or the third. You know what? Often in messages, and I know that they're you know, from man, but God inspires those and God works through those and uses those. I think sometimes it would do us good to hear things a little bit more often. Why do you think, fellas, your wives have to repeat themselves so often? Because <laughs> you just don't get it, do we? <laughs> You're not laughing, some of you. Okay, so anyway... Okay, so maybe it's not the same case. But nonetheless, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're in a race here. We're in a race. Okay, and uh, he recognized that believers have a race to run. And, and of course, we said, the goal's to what? See what I mean? You don't even know it yet after all these weeks. No, I know you know it. To win. To win. And so we see the reward. He, he speaks of the reward. He understands that the payoff is eternal. Listen, everything in the life, everything in this Christian life that we do is really about an eternal payoff. If you're looking for God to repay you now, You've, you've missed the mark. You, you misunderstand what it's really all about. You needed to live back in the Old Testament where there you got, you know, became rich when you were obedient to God. Where God blessed you physically. He doesn't bless that way now. He blesses spiritually in the New Testament. And there are times that God will allow us to experience wonderful physical blessing. But that is not God's way in the New Testament. You don't see it there. God says, listen, you got all these spiritual blessings. That's what I give to you. 
You have hope that the Old Testament never had. You have so many opportunities, so many things. So when we see this race being run, the fact is is that the, the writer understands that the payoff is eternal. The response, he says, man, I don't want to get sidetracked. I don't want to lose sight of the finish line. And then finally, we see his resolve. When he says, he, you know, he basically shares with us that he's cautious to do what? To take steps that help him to remain in the race, to finish strong. And that's what we were trying to do here. And so we touched on the problem. We said the depravity of society. We noted the drought of scripture. We said the depth of spirituality, as we said, is just about a couple inches thick and two miles wide. And it's all a part of the problem. And we need to address some of those issues if we really want to finish strong. And then we said, basically, what's the prescription in this wicked, sinful life uh, world that we live in? How do we stay pure? How do we stay clean? How do we continue to live the Christian life and do it successfully? Well, we, we said, let's, let's deal with those, those, that, those sinful lifestyles or sinful behaviors. What do you need to do? Well, we said, first, realize that your battle's a spiritual one. Number two, avoid contact with your area of weakness. Number three, avoid relationships that would lead you astray. Number four, saturate yourself with the Word of God. And then last week we said, number five, choose resistance, not the path of least resistance. And tonight we want to begin and continue our study with this thought, visualize the consequences of your sin. Okay, if we're going to overcome some things, if we're going to be victorious, if we're going to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits, and listen, let's just, let's just uh, you know, remove the, the blinders, uh, take off the gloves. Every last person in this room needs this. Every one of us. Every one of us struggle with sinful habits and lifestyles. You know, you can't live in the world we live in and not have to face it every day and deal with the temptations that abound. And so this is important. Now, what, what's one of the things we need to do? We already mentioned five. But what's another one that we need to do? Well, we need to, as we said, visualize the consequences of our sin. See, we're so short-sighted today. You know, everything's about now. What can I get today? But see, that's not how God wants us to live the Christian life. He wants us to live the Christian life in hope of tomorrow. It's all about the future. It's about what can take place tomorrow or the next day and down the road. I understand we live day to day. And I know someone says, well, I know the Bible. And the Bible says that, you know, you know we need to live today and not tomorrow. I understand all that. But let me tell you something. Uh, I don't know. How many of you, how many of you, if you could, I'm not even asking if you have one, but if you could prepare for retirement and you had enough money and you could put some money away for the future, how many of you would put away some retirement money if you had the money to put away right now? Oh, you wouldn't? Oh, wait, where's the hands at? Come on, let me see them. How many of you would if you had the money to do it right now? Put away money for retirement. You're lying. Some of you would. Some of you would. That aren't, you're not telling me the honest truth. You're not putting your hands up. Either one, you don't want to put your hand up because you're too lazy to put it up. Or you don't want somebody to see your hand. But let me tell you something. There's not one of you that wouldn't. But hold on a second. But it, you, you would do that for your, your physical future. You would do that so that you could retire one day and you'd have enough money in the bank so that you could actually sit on the side and, and go to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, which you ought to be, even when you retire, by the way. And you still ought to be involved in the work of God even though you retire. Let me just tell you, I just thought I'd throw that in. Uh, you don't ever get too old to serve God. But nonetheless, the fact is, is that you would put away money so you could prepare for your future. And God's saying today, listen, it's about preparing for your future, your, your eternal future. 
I get a little fed up when Christians act like we're being a little bit, you know, too practical. Well, you know, you're a little bit too spiritual, preacher. Spiritual about what? Physically speaking, we put things away. We prepare. We're not stupid when it comes to the world. We understand the need to prepare for tomorrow. But when it comes to the Christian life, we don't prepare for tomorrow. We live today. And so we take all of our time, we take all of our money, we take all of our talents, and we spend them now. And we don't keep eternity in mind. But we'll work a job, we'll go to work, you know, work 40, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, and we'll go, you know what, I need to start preparing for the future. I need to start putting some money away. I need to start getting ready. I'll take out maybe an insurance policy for my family, so in case something happens to me, they can have a good future. But when it comes to Christian life, we're not careful, we forget about our, Christ- our future. We live for today. And I'm all about living for today, but biblically and scripturally, you have to prepare for a spiritual future. We're all going to stand before God and give, a, give an account one day for our lives. We need to do that, and we're going to have to do that. So we need to make sure that we're not allowing things in this life to hamper or hinder the future. And that's what this is about. So we see here the consequences. You, we are short-sighted. A man says, man, I sure like this. It tastes good. He puts it in his mouth. He swallows it. Over and over and over and over and over and over again till finally it starts coming out his belly. And then he says, this is killing me. It's killing me. We get short-sighted though. All we see is the moment we sit in front of the food. All we can recognize and all we understand is what is before us now. We don't think about what's going to happen a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, ten years from now. A a, a boy or a girl or a young man or young lady gets involved in alcohol or drugs. They don't care about five years from now. All they see is right now, right here. They don't think about what sin really looks like down the road. They just look at what it feels like and looks like now. And it does. There's pleasure in sin for a season, as we'll see. But we have to realize we cannot be short-sighted. Proverbs 4.26. Let's look there, would you please? We do have to live day by day. I know that. But we also have to live with eternity in mind. And if there's one reason why sin grips our hearts so desperately, so so deadly almost, is because we don't think about tomorrow. Notice what it says here in Proverbs 4.26. Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Ponder the path of thy feet. Now, again, there's a pathway that we all have to... We, we have a race to run. So there's a path to walk or run, you, however you want to put it. But ponder the path of thy feet. The Bible's teaching us that we need to see where we're going. Ponder the path of thy feet. Now, when I get in the woods and there's a path to follow, I don't just look right down like this. I'll look up from time to time, see where it's taking me. I mean, if I'm walking like this, if I'm not careful, I could almost get enough momentum going. If it drops right off, I'd fall right off the end of a cliff. So I'm looking ahead a little bit. I'm pondering the path. I'm looking. I'm considering it. I'm dealing with what's in front of me. Is there a rock in front of me? A root in front of me? Is there a hole in front of me? What's going on? I'm keeping my eyes out front. I'm pondering the path of my feet. I want to make sure I'm not going to trip up or get taken off course. I want to make sure I end up where I'm supposed to. 
And you know what? That's what the Bible's teaching us. Yeah, we live day to day, but we also have to consider the future, have to consider the end. And that's what we're talking about here. Visualize the consequences of your sin. If you want to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits, you can't just consider today and where you stand with God or what you do for God. You've got to think about where it leads you and where you end up tomorrow. And five years from now and ten years from now. Look at Luke chapter 14, verse 28. We often use this passage liberally when it comes to finances. But the principle is still true in this area of overcoming sinful lifestyles and habits. Luke chapter 14, verse 28. For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Now, last time I checked, we're over there in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're building on a foundation as we talked about maybe Sunday night a little bit. So here's this foundation, and we're building our lives on a foundation. We want some sure footing as well. Now, that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about building a building. He's talking about doing something on a piece of ground. And, and he goes on here in verse 28 to simply say, for which of you, intending to build a tower, sit it not down first and count the cost whether you have sufficient to finish it. Okay, we're going to start this project. We're going to start building this building. How are we going to have enough money to finish the job? Are we going to really know? Uh, are we going to take the time to figure out how's it going to get accomplished? Well, you know what? In your life, it's the same thing. You're building something. You're building a life. You've got to count the cost. You've got to consider what you're building. Will it finish? And how's it going to look in the end? We talk about blueprints and plans for a building. we got an idea of what the, the, the new building will look like. We, we, we know that already. But hold on a second. What's it really going to look like in the end? Well, we have a plan. We kind of have an idea where it's going to end up. There may be a few minor changes here and there, a few different things that maybe weren't quite exact on the plan, but they're going to be very close. Well, let me ask you, have you planned your life out? Have you ever taken any time to really consider where you're going to end up? How life's going to end up for you? Well, I just don't think you can figure that out. I think you just roll with the punches. You're nuts. Quit rolling with punches and start putting your feet and looking at the path you're traveling and consider where it's going to lead you. I mean, I'm not trying to be nasty or mean here. I'm telling you that you do, in a, t in a sense, control some of your destiny. Well, I'm just going to leave it to the Lord. What do you mean leave it to the Lord? He gave us a, a, a blueprint right here. It's called the Bible. He tells us how to live a life that is ultimately ends productive, that enables us to see things the way He sees it and ultimately end up in a place where He wants us. You can't go contrary to His Word and end up where God wants you. And let me tell you, where God wants you and where you end up may be two different places. And I'll tell you, His is more pleasant. We're not just talking about heaven. So we've got to count the cost. When's the last time you really stopped? Before you did something, said something, went somewhere, and you honestly thought to yourself, what am I really saying by doing what I'm doing? What does this really say to people? What does this say to, to my wife, to my children? What, what does this imply about me as a person? I mean, how will this affect other people in my life? How does this affect my work, my job, my boss, my co-workers? How does it affect the souls of my family and my friends and others? I mean, those are the kind of questions we need to ponder and consider and that we need to really count before we make decisions. 
And those are the things that so often we don't. Not because I think we just downright don't care, but because we just don't think about it. It's just not a priority in our life. But if you want to overcome sinful lifestyles and habits, then you need to visualize the consequence of your sin. You need to ask yourself, where will this deed, this thought, this act take me? Where will it end up in the lives of others as well? So what we learn, first of all, is that sin's pleasure is temporal. What that means is that it's short-lived. There's a time limit. Its pleasure is temporal. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly, but um, somebody help me real quick. There's this game that people play. They throw it around with a, you know, a ball goes in a little, uh, whew, what's that called? Um, what's it called? Lacrosse. You ever seen lacrosse? And they've got that, I don't know what that thing's called. It's a sleeve with a kind of a, I don't know. And, and a ball goes in the end of it and they throw it around and you catch it and they do all that stuff. And then they finally get it in the goal and all. I don't know if you've ever watched lacrosse. They do it on horses. You ever see that? Or, or there's another game that they do. That's not lacrosse, not on horses. They do, what's that called? They got polo, yeah. Kind of like polo a little bit, but lacrosse is actually a better example. Anyway, they got this thing up there near Cleveland. It's, it's called whirly ball. And whirly ball is like lacrosse, you know, on steroids. Because you got these like bumper cars and you got this lacrosse thing and, you gotta, and you're throwing it back and forth to each other and you're trying to hit a, a, you know, a goal and all this stuff. And it's, it's really a good time. But there's a time limit. You get in there, you got like 20 minutes to play. 20 minutes. And man, I mean to tell you, you're in there and you're going at it, you're sweating, just dripping off of you and you're going crazy, you know, banging into people and throwing this ball back and forth, trying to catch it one to another and all that stuff. And, and, and it's 20-minute time limit. And then at the end of 20 minutes... Game over. Guess what happens? They shut the electric off. The bumper cars stop going. A buzzer goes and boom, everything stops. Man, I mean, it is full go right up to the very moment that that buzzer buzzes and the electric's turned off. It doesn't matter how much you want to keep playing. You can't because there's no electric. The cars don't move. It's a lot of fun. It's a great time. But there's a time limit. And then it, it's the end. You know, I know something. That's how sin is. There's a time limit. Oh, it's fun. It is fun. And, and I'm telling you, sometimes we do a disservice to our children when we start telling them sin's no fun. Sin's no fun. Yes, it is. There's, a, there's pleasure in sin for a season. The Bible says so. I don't. The Bible says it. But let me tell you something. There's a consequence for your actions and there's a consequence for that sin. You're going to pay a price because... Time's going to run out on the good times. How can it not be fun to be able to buy anything you want, go anywhere you want to go, fly anywhere you want to fly? That'd be awesome. But there's a price for a lifestyle like that. That's what I'm saying. I, I, I mean, yeah, there's elements about sin. Temporal, temporal though. Sin has, is pleasurable for a season. The pleasure is temporal. Look at Hebrews eleven twenty four through 25. We see the, the perfect example. You probably know who it is already. We talk about Moses, of course. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 25. Moses. You know, we think about Moses and we think, man, what a great man of God. He wasn't always a man of God. 
And he didn't always do everything right. Took him 80 years to figure it out. Isn't that something? I'm glad God didn't give up on him. You know, a new Christian gets saved and they don't do exactly what we want. Eight months later, we're giving up on them. Usually it's eight weeks, maybe even eight days. Isn't it sad how we do that? They don't care. I wonder if they even got saved. Oh, you never said that. I've never said that, right? Moses is 80 years old before God uses him. Isn't that amazing? Look, at, look at, he comes to a realization, though, after 40 years. Notice what he figures out after 40. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 25. By, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I'll tell you, there are a lot of benefits being Pharaoh's daughter. At least in that culture in that time. A lot of benefits. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Now I don't know how old Moses would have lived if he remained in Egypt. I don't know. I know he ultimately lives to 120 years of age. But what I do know is that he had a number of years potentially to enjoy sin. And, And here's the danger of it. Sometimes we put time limits on things. We say things like, yeah, you'll find out. Sin's going to run its course. You'll see. And then all of a sudden, five years later, we're going, why are they still doing well? Five years later? Wait a second. I thought a day was as a thousand years to the Lord. You know, we expect God to come down with the hammer because we don't appreciate how someone's living or acting. But that same hammer could come down on us at any time because we deserve the same thing. I'm just saying, I understand that there's frustration, and especially if you've been the one that's been hurt or harmed or been done wrong by someone. But let me tell you, God's very patient. But I don't care how pleasurable it may seem, I don't care how, how beneficial it seems, as you look at a life that's living in sin, it will end soon in God's eyes. And maybe not to yours, it may not be soon enough for you, but it will end. And there is an eternity to pay for it. And someone says, I don't want them to get saved. I want them to go to hell and burn forever. That's the mentality that we have a lot of times with people that hurt us. We wouldn't say it out loud, but we think it. Let me tell you something. They're paying. Whether or not you see it, they're paying. And it will come. It's, it's, it's not, sin's not what it's all cracked up to be. There's more than just this, too. I mean, just because they got a little plastic card and they can go in and buy anything they want doesn't mean that their life's going well. See, the problem is that's what you think makes life good. You think because you've got money in your pocket or because you can get whatever you want, then that makes life good. That's not what makes life good. You say, well, I don't believe that. Well, then you've figured something out, haven't you? But you know why we get angry at people like that when God's not dealing with them and fixing them and putting them in a poor house because they hurt me? It's because down deep, we think that's what successes or that's what blessing is is money well when god puts them on the skid row and god finally takes away their family then they'll see why because that is that what makes them happy that's what joy is all about huh you can lose your husband your wife to death you can lose your family your children you can you can lose your money you can lose everything you've got and still have joy in the lord but then again you can have all those things and still have no joy 
We've got to have perspective. Sins, pleasure is temporal. Proverbs 13, 15 says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. There's nothing easy about sin. Oh, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but let me tell you, there's more than just what you see. It's here. It's the heart. I love this story. Um, I've, I've used it a number of times, but Paul Harvey, of course, tells a story about an Eskimo that kills wolves. You may remember it, but it's a little bit grotesque to some degree, but it shows the destructive nature of sin, really. He says, first the Eskimo coats his knife blade with the animal blood and allows it to freeze. And then he adds another layer of blood and then another until the blade's completely concealed by frozen blood. Next, the hunter fixes his knife in the ground with the blade sticking up. And when the wolf follows his sensitive nose to that source of blood, he discovers the bait. He licks it. And he, he loves it. He tastes that frozen blood, fresh blo- frozen blood. He begins to lick faster and he begins to lick more vigorously. He laps at the blade. He licks the ever. And finally, before it's over with, he gets past all of that blood on the outside and begins to lick that sharp edge of the blade. Now he's so fervishly involved in this process and tasting the blood that before he knows it, he doesn't even realize that it's his own blood that he's tasting. Until finally, come morning, there he lays beside that knife, dead. You know, that's how it is with us in sin. Sin starts off one way and it always ends different. See, God gives us his best last. Satan gives you his best first. And you know, the problem is if we're not careful, the Bible says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen the heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. If you're not able to wait on God, you'll take the bait. And it'll kill you. It'll destroy you. In James chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When it is finished, it bringeth forth death. So we see that sin's pleasure is temporal. Oh yeah, it may start off seeming wonderful, but let me tell you, it'll cost. But sin's consequences are sure as well. You know, you're going to get caught. You're not going to get away with it. Well, I know everybody thinks they're the exception to the rule. But it just never, it never fails. You get caught. In the book of Numbers, the children of Israel... They're making preparation, of course, to enter into the promised land. For the second time, mind you, the children of Reuben and Gad, they approach Moses and they desire to stay on the other side. They don't want to enter the promised land, but instead they want to remain on that other side and build their their homes, their families, their lives there. Moses reluctantly agrees, but he does place one exception or one condition. He tells them that they're going to have to cross Jordan, stand and fight with the others before they can return and build their homes. Uh, and before they can return and live with their wives, their families, and continue to build their homes and, and lives. So he says, yeah, go ahead. Come on. I'll let you do that. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't believe that's what God would want for you. But that's okay. You're convinced of it. Fine. I'm not going to argue with you. And by the way, that's good advice. Someone starts telling you it's God's will. You're wasting your time arguing with it. You're wasting your time. Somebody walks in my office and says, Well, preacher, this is what God told me to do. What do you think? What am I going to do? Tell you no now? You just told me God told you to do it. So what, I'm going to be the bad guy now? 
I'm going to be the one going against God? Well, I don't agree with that. Well, let me show you. Well, yeah, but God told me. Oh, well, okay then. If God told you, man, go ahead. Go for it. You know what I think? If I were you, I'd probably come into the pastor's office and say something like, Pastor, you know, I've been thinking and praying about some things, and, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling like God's leading me and directing me, and I'm just wondering, you know, how that lines up with Scripture, and is there any advice you could give me, man? You got any ideas? And I'd say, well, I appreciate you coming and asking. I, can, I, I mean, to me, it sounds perfect, man. I'm looking at it. You've got some Scriptures to back you. It looks good. I don't know. I don't see any reason. I love to, get, I love to say that. Or I may say, well, you know, in the Bible, it does say this over here. Have you considered that? Oh, you know what? I haven't thought about that, but I'll have to do, I'll have to check on that. It's kind of like a parent, you know, with a child. They come to you and say, well, you know what? We're getting married. And you say, what are you talking about? I didn't even know you were dating. Well, we're getting married. What do you think? Who cares what I think? You made up your mind. Honestly, folks, what... Why do, what, you know, where were you standing? I think Ruthie's even shaking her head yes. Like, go, hon, smart girl. Don't forget that when it comes time for you to date or see a boy or whatever. Oh, please, don't put me on the cross for saying dating, by the way. Or court, whatever you want to call it. You still got to see somebody. <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't mean to cuss in the pulpit by saying date. Four-letter word and all. But anyway, some of you may, you're like, what's he talking about? Good, I'm glad you don't have a clue. But anyway, that just means it's no big deal to you. That's right. Boys and girls are supposed to like each other. And I'm very glad when they do, by the way. Uh, that I, I, don't, I, don't, I never want our kids in a car alone with a boy or a girl. I, I, I never endorsed that, never allowed it. If they did it, they snuck around behind my back. But the fact is, is that I don't agree with that stuff. But I do think that they eventually have to see each other and talk to each other and do things together. That's good business been kind of hard for Joaquin and Taylor to get to know each other and get married if they didn't even get a chance to be around each other and talk to each other, wouldn't it? So I'm glad that they were... I, I hope you did more than just sit and talk at church, maybe. Maybe you actually... But anyway, moving on. So i got to believe that. So anyway. So we, we see here that these children of Israel, here they are now. They say, this is, this is God, man. He told, we believe God wants us on this side. Moses says, you know what? Fine. But here's the deal. You have to go fight. You have to make sure we conquer the land, and then you can go back to your families. Why? Because, see, people had discouraged them in the past. There were a group of men that came back that were leaders that said, oh, we can't go into that promised land, even though God said they could and would. And he said, you know what? No one's going to discourage the brethren again. I'm not going to let it happen. Just because the two of you feel that your two tribes think that you're supposed to be over here, don't think for a minute that after the big battle and after the fight, you're going to sit there and relax while we all go back into battle again. No, you're coming and fighting as well. You're not going to discourage the rest of them. And so they did. They went and fought. But hold on. Here's the warning he gave them. They agreed. But here's the warning in Numbers 32, 23. But if ye will not do so, behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. You know what he was saying? If you don't come over and fight with us, we're going to kill all of you. That's what he, that's, that's what he was implying. Matter of fact, when they went back and built an altar, the, the children of Israel were ready to go back and just kill them all too, wipe, the whole, wipe them all out. But, but again, they realized at that point that wasn't their intention to build another altar. But the thing is, is that he says, your sin will find you out. You want to know something? Your sin will find you out and it will kill you. It will destroy you. It will. It will wreck you. It will ruin you. 
But unfortunately, the older you get, the more people that are dependent on you. And it wrecks and ruins them too. And that's something you have to keep in mind. And that's why you have to consider and think about where things lead. It's so important that we understand that. Sin's consequences are sure. So here's what I want to encourage you. Real quickly, I want you to think about the consequences of sin for a minute. I want to give you some serious thought to con- uh, concerning the consequences. One, consider the embarrassment and humiliation of getting caught. You need to think about that. I mean, place yourself, uh, picture yourself being caught in your sin. How would you feel that very moment? Feel the guilt of that. Feel the shame of it. Feel the humiliation of it all. I mean, we need to, we need to think about that. The Bible's very clear on what we need to do, and, and it's very clear that we ought to count the cost. It's, it's very clear that we ought to ponder the path of our feet. So let's ponder it for a minute. If you're involved in something you know is unscriptural, ask yourself, what if I get caught? How will I feel? Will, what will the embarrassment and the humiliation be like? Think about that before it happens. Number two, consider the hurt and heartache that it will cause those you love and those that, you, that love you. you. You teenagers act sometimes like, you know, your lives are your own, nobody cares. Your mom and dad will have a broken heart if you, you do things that aren't right. You'll break, you can break their hearts. I don't care. You may not appreciate them the way you ought to. You may not think that they uh, handle you the way they should. But let me tell you something. They love you with all their heart. They're doing their best with the assets and the things that they have available to them. You ought to be patient with them. And just like they're being patient with you, I promise you that. But you ought to think about how it's going to hurt them. And husbands, wives, you need to think about how it's going to affect your, your spouse. You need to think about how it's going to affect your family. For none of us liveth to himself, and no man dieth to himself, Romans 14.7 says. Then number three, consider the blight it will have on your reputation and testimony. Uh, listen, there's no doubt that we can rebuild trust. You can. You can rebuild trust. Praise God for that. But I'll tell you what, it's a hard road to hoe. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. You know, Peter denied the Lord, but thank God, trust was built again. But, but here's the thing. Why go through it if you don't have to? Why, why, why deal with that? There's not one person in here that's done things they've been caught doing that would, doesn't regret it and wouldn't like to go back and fix it. Not one of us. And probably the majority of us in this room have something we can think about that we think, man, I wish I'd have never done that. Boy, it took me time to get over that one. And if it doesn't get caught in this life, it'll get caught in the next. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 2 Corinthians 5.10 Hebrews 4.13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. 2 Corinthians 5.10 and Hebrews 4.13. Satan wants us to believe, buy into the lie that everything's fine, that we can sin against God, that we can be lazy in our Bible reading, we can be neglectful in our prayer life, that we can uh, miss church, that, that we can dabble in sin, that we can take liberties where they shouldn't, we're not permitted to. And it'll all be okay. It's no big deal. Come on now. It's not like you're killing anybody. 
Let me tell you something. One thing turns to another and another. And, and you know, I, I, I have never, in my days at least, talked to anybody that was down at the Haven of Rest or on skid row, so to speak, or had lost everything. I've never talked to any of them and then say, you know what? It was my goal in life to lose everything I worked for. That's what I, I lived. I lived to hurt my wife. I lived to hurt my children. I lived to destroy my home. I lived to destroy my church. There's not one pastor that stood in the pulpit that ended up in a, a situation that was not good that didn't say, you know, when I first got to that church, I couldn't wait to wreck it and ruin it. And I can't, couldn't wait to destroy everything. I, I never ran into that person yet. But you know what Satan did? He got them to think about only now. They didn't see tomorrow. They couldn't consider the consequences of their sin. They, they, they failed to recognize or to ponder the path of their feet. They didn't count the cost. And he got them saying, you know what, your sin's not that big a deal. Everybody's got a sin You'll be fine. Let's be careful. Because we want to finish strong. None of us want to ruin our testimony. None of us want to end up in a bad situation or hurt or harm anyone we love or care about. None of us want that. But we are all prone to it. And that's why the Bible teaches us to restore one another in a spirit of what? Humility. You want to know why? Because we are also susceptible to falling. And it could very well be us if it weren't for the grace of God. So let's work at thinking about tomorrow and where does our lifestyle lead us? Where does our thought life lead us? Where does it take us? And we may be able to avoid the downfall, the heartache, because we'll have pondered the path of our feet We'll have counted the cost and we'll say, no, I'm not traveling down that road. I know where it's leading and it's leading nowhere good. I think a good piece of advice tonight would be this. Counsel yourselves. You say, what do you mean? Sit down with yourself someday and say, okay, I'm having this problem with this sin. How should, what, what does God think about it? And what should I do, ma'am, sir? You be the counselor now. Step on the other side of the desk for a second and counsel yourself. What would you tell somebody that came to you with your sin? What advice would you give them? What scriptures would you share? Because I'll tell you what, most of the time we know the answers to our problems. We know what we should and shouldn't do. We, we know where it's going to lead and end up. We just don't really give it much thought. We try not to think about that because all we want is the now, the here. So counsel yourself a little bit. You'd be amazed how many pitfalls you can avoid if you'll stop and counsel yourself. And when I say that, I'm saying using the Word of God, of course. Not your own wisdom, but God's Word. Father, we come to you. Lord, we're all susceptible.